Welcome to episode 108 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 108 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen? I am fabulous. How are you? I am wonderful. I feel like it's been so long since we talked. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Really long. Years. Forever. Or a week. Or a day. Or five minutes. Who knows? Who knows? (laughs) Listeners, we are actually recording two episodes today. So we just recorded 107. Now we're recording 108. So I'm still at the beach because it's still the same day. And you still might hear running feet. So... (laughs) I'm still, I'm still here. Yeah, we have a, a sun deck above us. We're on the fourth floor and above us is the sun deck. And I was like, that's going to be fabulous because no one lives on the sun deck. Oh yeah. People get up and watch the sunrise on the sun deck. Did you know that? Oh, I did. I learned that. But luckily I'm already awake, but they're up there running around <laughs> as the sun comes up. Someday I'll be a morning person rising with the sun. Well, I'm awake, but... So will everyone else be in this condo. So if you ever come and stay with me at the condo, you'll be a morning person when people are running around watching the sunrise. Like I said, the only time I've ever been really awake with the sunrise and feeling good is when I would pull an all-nighter and then I would see the sunrise and I'd be like, oh, this is what it's like to rise with the sun. Yeah, yeah. And then you just crash and burn. All right. Would you like to just jump into everything for today? Let's get started. Yes. <laughs> More listener questions because we're burned out with the small talk. We have a listener question from Mansoor. Yeah. Is that how you would say it? Mansoor? I guess so. And Mansoor has the subject, eat what you want, but you gotta pay. Dun, dun, dun. I love that subject. I do too. All right. So here's what Mansoor says. First, I am a big fan of your podcast. Very informative and entertaining too. I started intermittent fasting four weeks ago, and all I know about IF is from your podcast that I love so much. I started with clean 18.6 from the beginning. Everything is perfect up to the point that I start eating, then I feel bloated and stuffed. By the time I go to bed, I feel really heavy, and during the night, I have a really bad taste in my mouth. Sorry for being gross. I have tried different styles, low protein, high protein, low carb, no carb, The only night that I felt good was when I had just a bowl of cream of broccoli for dinner and a few snacks during the window. Here comes the question. Do you have a list of eat blank when window is open since eat what you want isn't working for me? I recently read something that during the window we should only eat unprocessed food. 
I continue the diet since I feel great during the day, but the nights are terrible. Thank you and keep up the good work. All right, Melanie, what say you? All right, Mansoor. So I think for a lot of us who struggle in the gut department with IBS or digestion issues or things like this, that we often experience this. I especially relate to what you said about, you know, you feel great during the fast and then we eat and then there are problems. (laughs) So you're not alone. It can be really frustrating because like you said, you can try all these different approaches and you want to find the one thing that works. And I do think you can find something that will work for you. And it is a matter of experimentation. You already know that you did okay with the cream of broccoli and just a few snacks. So you said that you've read recently that you should only eat unprocessed foods. So I would suggest trying something like, and I'm not saying everybody should do this because I don't think you need to do this if you don't need to do this. But if you are the type of person who is having digestion problems and is suffering from bloating and finding the foods that work for you, trying some sort of elimination type diet temporarily, I think can be very beneficial because it can possibly show you what foods might be creating problems and maybe provide clarity in that aspect. And then when you find the foods that work for you, you could work on reintroducing more foods from there. So there are a lot of different ones you could try. You could try like an autoimmune type paleo approach. It's going to be like whole foods based. And it's going to take out a lot of foods that can create inflammatory reactions for people. You could try like a low FODMAP approach. That's something I would really recommend just hearing your symptoms, Mansoor, um, because that's going to remove types of foods that can potentially create bloating specifically because of how they are fermented by our gut microbiome. And that can still be completely healthy, whole foods-based, delicious. It's just going to be certain foods. So that's a little FODMAP. And I'll put links to all of this stuff in the show notes. I even made my own new app recently called FoodSense, which Jin Sun Cal developed. And that's available on the iTunes store. And I'll put a link to that as well. That's more for like food sensitivities. So not necessarily digestive issues, but it could manifest that way. But that's going to look at things like histamine, amines, glutamates, oxalates, lots of things. So I'll put links to that as well. But Mansour, for your question, do we have a list of eat what you want (laughs) or eat blank when the window is open since eat what you want isn't working? Yes and no. No, there's not one list. But I can say you could try this approach. You could try this approach. And if you try a certain approach, then you would commit to that quote list temporarily and see if it works for you. And I, I like I said, I think low FODMAP is a great way to go. I mean, it sounds like when you don't go crazy, not I don't want to say crazy, but when you ate less, like just a few snacks and then like a simple meal of that broccoli soup, that speaks to me that it might be like a food combination issue, a digestion issue. So maybe another route would be more nutrient calorie rich foods that are in smaller amounts with that broccoli soup. Like grazing, grazing through the window. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Grazing through the window or like you try low protein, high protein, low carb, no carb. Cream of broccoli could be like really rich. So it's possible, you know, he got in a lot of nutrients, a lot of calories in a soup that was digestible for him. And then he had like a few snacks. So that could be a good route to try. You know, maybe you try an approach where you do have like a really calorie rich soup or something that can get in the bulk of your nutrients and calories and then just a few snacks or the grazing. So there are a lot of different things to try. Long story short, there's not one answer of eat these foods. If there were, we wouldn't, (laughs) if there were, we wouldn't have the whole issue of IBS because everybody could just follow that. So yeah, unfortunately, you have to experiment what works for you. But I mean, it does sound to me that you've tried more macro type approaches and you haven't tried a whole foods type approach just because you're saying that you've read about the unprocessed 
nature, but you didn't reference that in your, you said you tried high, high protein, low protein, high fat, low fat. Well, you didn't mention fat. No fat was mentioned. High protein, low carb. Yeah. Oh, sorry. You didn't mention fat. So yeah, maybe trying like a whole foods type approach in one of those paradigms I spoke about with the low FODMAP or AIP might be something to try. Or also extending your window, so trying like a more of a grazing type approach. So Jen, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think you were very thorough on that one. I don't know, but I wonder if it's just a volume thing too. You know, when we spend the day in the fasted state, I know that I feel very slim and trim. The longer the day goes on, I feel very slim. And then when I eat, I do feel full. I wouldn't call it bloated and stuffed unless I overeat. So if I overeat, then I do feel bloated and stuffed. So perhaps that could be what's happening. Perhaps Mansoor is eating past satiety and that's making him feel bloated and stuffed because that is what it feels like to eat past satiety. It could just be a volume, the bad taste. Well, if you eat too much, you know, you could have a reflux kind of thing going on, pushing up. Yeah. I think there's definitely like a not ideal digestion situation going on. But it could just be that you're trying to eat too much at one time. And so I, I might would try, you know, maybe not quite eating as much. That could be what's happening. It might not be what as much as it is how much. He could also, because he says he feels great during the day and the nights are terrible. I mean, I know we had the whole like not nighttime conversation question last week, but he could even try like a daytime eating window just to see, you know? Yeah. An earlier window might feel better for his body. It's just something to try. All right. Next question comes from Mary Lou. The subject is thicker saliva with IF. And Mary Lou says, Hello, Jen and Melanie. I've been living the intermittent fasting lifestyle for nine months and love it. The last few months, I've noticed that my saliva is much thicker than before IF. It is more noticeable during the fast, but also happens during my eating window. It also seems like there's an increased amount of saliva, but maybe that is due to it being thicker and I'm more aware of it. Have you heard of this happening to other people? Would appreciate any insight you may have. Thanks. And so I know this is a very specific seemingly random question from Mary Lou, but I had to include it in here because interestingly, I don't know what it's from, but ever since I got mercury toxicity and had to go on a round of antibiotics for things, I was like perfect storm of a lot of things happened at once. Started like chelation type practices and things like that. My saliva completely changed. Okay. That's fascinating. (laughs) And got really thick and excessive and it's been driving me crazy. And part of me put this question on here is just if any listeners have any idea about this if they'd like to write in because it drives me insane. It's crazy. And I do know I actually read actually one symptom of mercury toxicity is excess saliva. And especially if you're going through chelation and you're stirring up that mercury, that could be a thing. But I will say I really, really miss the days where I wasn't thinking about my saliva. It's crazy how like you can, you're like, oh, the days I wasn't thinking about this one little thing. But I actually did some research as well. And did you know there are studies on this, Jen? No, because I haven't heard anybody talk about this in the groups. So it seems like a very individualized thing because I've never heard it before. There's some things that I hear over and over and over. Like now that we have 88,000 people in the one group, like literally some things we hear seven times a day. (laughs) Never have heard this. So like if you hear people say, fasting causes X, Y, Z. And I'm like, you know, it doesn't cause that because otherwise we'd be hearing that a lot. <laughs> and this is this is not one that, that I've ever heard before. So 
I would like to hear your saliva re- saliva research. I think it's very valid. People will say that like N equals one experiments aren't valid. You know, like you need a scientific study to support everything. But I feel like, especially you, Jen, having access to your groups, it's very telling what is clearly working for people. It's, it's true. When you have anecdotal stuff, and this group has 88,000, my other group has 70-something thousand, and my advanced group has almost 12,000. So when you put that together, anecdotal experiences for 150,000 people, it's more than that, but anecdotal experiences from that many people have value. Yeah, I think they have massive value. Yeah. And if we heard all the time, everybody's like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm having this symptoms. Like, like for example, there's a something going around that intermittent fasting is going to give you gallstones. Don't intermittent fast, you're going to get gallstones. We hear that pop up every now and then. But I'm like, well, you know, we hear people who hear that that will happen, but we don't hear people reporting it. Right. You know, we don't have like massive numbers of people in our group saying, help, now I have gallstones. In fact, it almost feels like we have less of that than you would have just in the general population. Because, you know, a certain percentage of people in the general population who are not fasting also experience things. So there will be intermittent fasters who experience these things, but we're not seeing that at a high percentage. And if intermittent fasting caused that in people, we would hear it a lot. That's just my point. Back to Mary Lou's question though. I do remember though, pre my own saliva issues, which now I'm happy that our thousands of people know about my saliva issues. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I do remember while fasting before saliva not, being a thing. And I found some studies. I found one called effects of fasting on saliva composition. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Are you kidding me? I'm not kidding. It actually found that the flow rate of fasting saliva was half that of controls. See, I would predict that too, because you're, you're fasting, so you don't need it. Maybe that makes it thicker. Yeah. If it's not flowing as much, I could totally see it being thicker. They didn't measure the viscosity, did they? Just the flow rate? Maybe it's more concentrated? They did note that it had less protein. Yeah, I'm not sure. But then there was another study called Studies of the Effect of Diet on Saliva Secretion and Caries Development, the Effect of Fasting on Saliva Composition of Female Subjects. Because there always is a study for everything. (laughs) They found the same thing, that fasting also caused a significant decrease in saliva secretion. Basically, it seems like in general, fasting promotes less spit, not more. So I think the increased saliva is likely due, I don't know, but it's likely probably due to something else that the fasting is working on. Yes, exactly. Rather than the fasting per se. So for example, like I said before that I know that mercury toxicity can result in increased saliva and salivation could be that like because of the detox from the fasting that that's creating some sort of detox type effect and that's why you're having increased saliva i don't know i would work with a doctor on this but i will say listeners if you have experience with this feel free to email because i'm actually very curious all right hi friends so i'm sort of haunted by clothes if you follow me on instagram you probably know that i love wearing all the new clothes all the time and i know that that is not really sustainable and not good for the planet that's why i am thrilled that there is now a way to get all of the clothes with none of the waste and i'm going to tell you how you can get unlimited clothes with no waste for a month for free 
That's right. I now have a website for both myself and you guys where you can get free unlimited clothes with free shipping, free exchanges, nonstop from all of the hottest brands. And it is so incredibly easy. It's called MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. We have so many incredible brands, including my favorites like BCBG, Calvin Klein, and so many more. Think like a hundred brands. There are so many options. And the way it works is when you get a subscription, you search through the clothes, pick what you want. They send it to you with fast, easy shipping. You wear it as long as you want. And then when you're ready for more clothes, you just drop it off in their prepackaged envelope and get your next round. It is so incredibly cool. They have multiple plans. The starter plan gives you two pieces at a time. Friends, I actually have a little secret hacked. Don't tell them that I told you this. When you get your two pieces, you can actually immediately go into your account, click return, and they'll go ahead and send you the next two pieces. So technically you can have four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you eventually want to order so you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes all the time with none of the waste. Oh, and of course, one of my major reservations was the cleaning compounds that they use on the clothes because yes, it is dry cleaning, which normally makes me nervous. And they don't say this on the website. So I reached out to them and I was like, hey, what's going on with the cleaning? What do you guys use? Because I can't promote this if it's just normal dry cleaning. And thankfully, they let me know that they do not use any detergents, fabric softeners, or chemicals that are harsh. Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com to sign up. Free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. Unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com for all of the clothes, none of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons 
reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Let's move on to the next one. And this is from Susan. And the subject is old versus new eating habits. And Susan says, hi, ladies. I'm a new listener to the podcast. You may have discussed my question already, but I haven't made it through all your episodes yet. So I apologize if you have. I wanted to know what brought you into the IF lifestyle and how have your eating habits changed from before IF to now? I'm doing 16-8 and have been eating nothing but fast food and other junk during my eating window. I struggle to replace those bad foods with healthy stuff because to me that feels like a diet, like a punishment. My family eats whatever they want, and for me to eat any different feels unsustainable to me. Please help. Susan, Palm Bay, Florida. Well, thank you, Susan, for your questions. So for me personally, I was first low-carb but still eating processed-type foods. Then I tried intermittent fasting, which I adapted to really, really easily because I think I was in a fat-burning state from low-carb. And then doing intermittent fasting was what really opened the door for me to becoming more aware of how foods affected me and really made me much more open and ultimately super welcoming of cutting out processed foods and doing a whole foods type approach and getting rid of foods I never thought I could let go of. And it was a long process, you know, it was a slow, steady journey. So it wasn't all at once. And there was a point where, you know, I felt like cutting out certain foods would feel like a punishment, but ultimately it became very sustainable. And now I, you have to like force me to eat other things, like things in the past that I would have like loved to eat. Now I don't love to eat them because I know they don't make me feel good. So if you do feel like you should be eating these other foods, but eating them would feel like a punishment, 
or be unsustainable, I mean, that's okay. You know, you can take a slow journey, but I think you'll find with more and more intermittent fasting that it does make you more aware of how things feel in your body. You might find that your eating habits will change accordingly. I think it's just good to stay open to dietary change and know that your taste buds might change. You might try in the future as you continue your intermittent fasting, experimenting with different dietary approaches. Uh, what are your thoughts, Jen? Well, I have a whole blog post about this at www.jenstevens.com and it's called Eating, You Were in Charge. It talks about how my eating did change over time and that most people find that happens to them. It's almost universal for people who have been doing intermittent fasting long-term to surprisingly one day, all of a sudden, something you used to love, you no longer like it, want it, or even can tolerate it. Susan, my best advice would be don't try to force yourself to change the foods that you're eating at first. That could be misinterpreted by someone as me saying that food quality doesn't matter. And that is not what I'm saying at all. But you're starting something that is a huge change. Intermittent fasting is very different from what you were doing before. And so if you just, you know, have that eating window, but keep eating the way you were eating, you are doing something positive for your body by having an eating window instead of eating all day long. That's one positive step. You know, I noticed that you're doing 16-8. And I do want to say that if you're eating a lot of fast food and you called it junk, so I'm just going to use the word that you said, if you're eating a lot of fast food and junk during an eight-hour window, that's a long period of time. I would recommend that instead of changing what you're eating, change your eating window length, shrink that down a little bit, see how that feels. Then over time, start listening to your body and see how foods make you feel. I lost my first 55 of 80 and I was eating just like you. I was eating lots of fast food, lots of junk food. I drove through the drive-through to bring home dinner from McDonald's or Zaxby's, or I would go pick up a, a fried chicken at the grocery store and, you know, the sides out of the deli. I was barely eating any vegetables at all. Like baked beans from the deli was like a vegetable for me. And of course, now I would not consider that to be a high quality vegetable at all. But at the time, that's how I was eating. And I was able to lose weight doing that. And like I said, over time, my body started to ask for different foods and I didn't force it. I didn't make it happen. And so when I eat high quality vegetables now, I'm not having to force it. It's what I crave. It's what I want. So Susan, I would suggest shrinking that window a little bit, still focus on foods that make you feel great. And over time, see if that craving doesn't change for you. What's really funny is if I had to go back to the way I used to eat, that would feel like a punishment now. And it's like 180 from how I used to be. And I didn't do it on purpose and I didn't force it. No, exactly. Like I said, it would f so feel like a punishment for me as well. Next question comes from Paula. The subject is appearance of weight loss. And Paula says, I'm on my second week and starting to see changes along with the difference of putting on my jeans instead of pouring myself into them and laying back to zip and button. I put on my jeans and t-shirt this morning and I noticed in the mirror that there's a fat roll on my left side above the waistband, but not a roll on the right. I'm thinking this can't be right. So I lift my shirt and, and it's the same thing. I still think it can't be right. So I put my shirt down and I feel down both sides at the same time. And I can even feel the difference. Has this happened before? Just wondering. All right, Jen. So have people in the groups reported this where they're having fat 
roles at different parts of their body, but not other parts? No, this is also one I haven't seen before. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I have not ever seen anybody lose fat in a lopsided way that they reported. So I don't know, Paula. I mean, I can imagine that it could be possible that your body is tapping into the one side and it's going to get to the other later, right? Just keep on keeping on. You're also only on your second week. So you've got a lot of time to, to see what changes happen. Have you ever heard of this before, Melanie? Well, it made me think of two things that could be going on. Fat cells and fat deposits are guarded by certain receptors and those can be controlled by hormones and catecholamines and things like that. And I mean, there are like really crazy extreme cases. I remember back when I was reading, I don't know, I think like Good Calories, Bad Calories by Tobbs. I think it was that book. There was a picture in it, one of those books. They were talking about, and this is like an extreme example, but fat deposition in different places of the body. And they had pictures like case studies of people who literally were like emaciated on the top half of their- Yeah, I remember those pictures. Yeah. They're like very shocking because they're like emaciated on the like the top half of their body. They look- And obese on the bottom. And obese on the bottom. Extreme example, but the point being that for reasons, you know, beyond- what we can talk about in this small discussion, but the body can choose to store fat in certain areas and not others. So that can be a thing. But I don't know what would be left versus right. That's so interesting. I know. So I, I don't know if that's what's going on here, but I'm saying in theory, it could be a thing. The other thing I was thinking about was it also could be inflammation related as well. Oh, good point. Because I know for me, like I had some dental work done recently on my face and literally for a few days, half of my face, I mean, it looked like fat. You know, it wasn't fat. It was swollen. Yeah. And it looked like I had like these fat deposits on an area of my face that wasn't on the other side. And I remember thinking, this is really telling because if you looked at this, it looks like I gained fat on like half of the side of my face, but it wasn't that. It was inflammation and it was swelling. So the point is that there are a lot of things that can go on and it's really complicated and we don't really know what's going on, but just the point is you can keep on keeping on. And if you move towards a a healing, holistic, anti-inflammatory state with fasting and your food choices that hopefully things will even out in the end. Yep. Good point. Hi, friends. Now, I know most of you are familiar with the power of protein to help us to recompose our bodies, get fitter and leaner by losing body fat and protecting and gaining muscle or lean body mass. Now, protein supplementation is one of the best ways to do it. It is scientifically validated to help us produce high quality weight loss. Now, when it comes to weight loss, traditionally, a lot of people will do high carb, low calorie diets, and those have been shown to generate upwards of 40 percent lean body mass loss. Now, protecting your lean body mass and your muscle is crucial when you are wanting to lose some fat because during weight loss, you don't want the weight lost to be coming from your muscle. The more muscle you're able to retain, the more you're retaining metabolically active tissue, which is going to keep your metabolic rate much higher and help you maintain the fat loss after you have achieved it. Now, one of the best ways, as I said, to do this is through using protein shakes. I've been on the lookout for years to find a high quality protein supplement that does not have fillers, dyes, artificial sweeteners, and using cheap protein concentrate, which can cause all kinds of issues like bloating and indigestion. 
I finally created a protein supplement that meets my standards and it's something that I personally use every single day and that is Tone Protein. Tone Protein not only is extremely clean and high quality with only whey protein isolate, no concentrates, no fillers. It is also scientifically formulated to optimize muscle protein synthesis, which is going to help you build lean body mass and muscle in the most efficient way possible. I am so incredibly excited about Tone Protein. Not only is it extremely high quality and optimized to help you recompose your body. It is also absolutely delicious. We've been having so much fun with all the different flavors that we are creating, and I just can't wait for you all to try it. Now, I wanted to create a special launch discount for all of you listeners so that you could check it out, try it out, see how you like it, and test it out for yourself. In order to receive that launch discount, you can head over to toneprotein.com and sign up with your name and email address and you'll receive an email to double opt in to the list and you'll be the first to know when Tone Protein is available to order and you will also receive that exclusive launch discount. It is going to be the biggest discount that we ever offer on Tone Protein. So I really want all of you to be able to receive it. So be sure to go to toneprotein.com, sign up with your name and email and you'll be double opted in to that list. And I am so excited for you all to try it out. Let me know what you think of it and let it help you to optimize your body recomposition goals, get that fat loss and maintain and protect your lean body mass while doing it. Right. All right. Awesome. So now we have a whole series of questions all about a topic we talk about frequently, serapeptase. So I'm going to read all of these questions about serapeptase. The first is from Mary Beth. She said, you mentioned on the podcast about how much clearer you were on the serapeptase. I looked to order. Could you tell me the strength and form? Just a comment. I discovered your podcasts two weeks ago, bought and have read and reread the book, Delay, Don't Deny. All of these have re- really given me a newfound understanding and jumpstart on IF. Thank you so much. And then we have Faith. Love, love, love your podcast. I just ordered the brand of serapeptase that you suggested My question is, how much do I take? How much is too much? Do I have to take it three times a day? How can you figure out how much is enough for me? Thank you for your thorough podcast. It has helped me so much. And then we have a question from Amy. And we really have two-part question here. The first part is about serapeptase. So I'll read that part first. Amy says, hello. I just finished listening to your podcast where you mentioned serapeptase. How much do you take? I looked on Amazon and found that the Doctor's Best brand sells it in 120,000 SPU and 40,000 SPU. I'd appreciate your thoughts before I buy it. All right. So, Melanie, would you like to talk all things serapeptase? All right. So, I figured it was time that we had another serapeptase <laughs> tackling that because we do get a lot of questions and we, we have even more beyond this. Like I said, I've recently been experimenting with different serapeptase brands and I've been doing a lot of research into serapeptase. I talked recently on a podcast how I had stopped taking it for a little bit and then brought it back and was like, why did I ever stop? But basically, serapeptase, it is an enzyme created by the Japanese silkworm. And when you take it in the fasted state, it enters the bloodstream and can break down residual proteins and build up in the body. So it can help with things like clearing tissue buildup, like fibroids and 
cysts and adhesions and things like that. People find it works wonders for sinuses. I find that as well. Can help with inflammation, brain clarity, brain fog. It's just, it can be a wonder. There are different versions of it. And this is what we've been getting questions about because it is easily destroyed by stomach acid. So it does require some sort of enteric coating to protect it so that it can reach the small intestine. Some companies choose to actually coat the capsule with an enteric coating so that the capsule is preserved to the intestine and then the serapeptase, you know, enters the small intestine. Others coat the actual serapeptase itself within like a non-coated capsule. And then some might even coat the serapeptase and coat the capsule. So basically there are a lot of ways that can get to your small intestine. And I think that's why some versions and brands work for some people and not others. And it really is a matter of finding the brand or the version that works for you. So I encourage listeners to experiment with different brands. That said, I made a post for listeners just for you guys, where I've actually put all of the different brands that I've recently experimented with, what they're formulated with. I even emailed all the companies to find out exactly what was going on. So if you go to ifpodcast.com slash guess what it is, you want to guess, Jen? Serapeptase? Yes. <laughs> go to com slash Or if you go to ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like and click on the link there to Serapeptase, it'll bring you to the same place. But I put a link to all the different brands. I would say pick one. If it works for you, awesome. If it doesn't and you if you experience like negative side effects, you might want to try titrating down your dose or trying a different brand. One of the brands is the Sarah Gold. That's by Enzymatic. I'm a little bit confused and I emailed them. They actually make their serapeptase from a bacteria. So not from the silkworm. Fascinating. They say that this version doesn't require enteric coating. I emailed them and I was like, you don't have any um, enteric coating. And they were like, we make ours from a bacteria that is really hurty in the intestine and doesn't require an enteric coating. And they also formulate it with a mineral blend that's supposed to make it easier on the stomach. Some people who have negative reactions to other brands might do well with that brand. So that's the Sarah Gold. You could try that. But I do like the other versions as well that I listed on that website. All right. So we have a second part of Amy's question. And she says, second question, I am only on day four of intermittent fasting 16-8. I'm a 42-year-old mother of four. I work out three times a week during CrossFit during my fast. I'm used to high-intensity workouts on an empty stomach. My goal for trying this way of eating is to lean out and encourage muscle growth. I've tried keto in the past, but definitely felt deprived and was hard for me to maintain long-term. Do you think that the 16-8 plan can help me reach my goals? I think yes. <laughs> but I think we'll try it and see if it works for you, and you can always adjust from there. That's a really short answer. But I feel like, Jen, I feel like you're better with these questions because you have so much... <laughs> I'm better with, I'm better with like the sciencey ones and you're better with like the, uh, the practical of what people are doing. Yeah. Because we hear from so many people. Yeah. So, you know, 16, eight may work well. It really just depends on what you're trying to do. You want to lean out. Okay. I don't know how much excess fat you have, how much you want to lean out. That would be a big factor. You know, if you're already lean and you're just trying to get that super duper lean body, then maybe 16-8 and keep doing what you were doing, but with the 16-8 and you're crossfitting, that might be enough. But if you still have a lot of fat to lose, then perhaps you need to shrink that window. You know, you're only on day four of intermittent fasting, so it's really too soon to know. But if you're really lean, 
already, then a longer window, you know, may be better for you because you don't have as much fat to pull from. It just depends. You'll have to try and see. 16.8 may be exactly what gets you to where you need to be. I would definitely start there. You know, you won't know till you try. Start at the 16.8 and don't expect it to, you know, to, to make a difference in the first few weeks. Really take an experimental approach where you do something and you do that for a few weeks and then see what happens. And then as you make a tweak, give it another few weeks and see what happens. Think about this as a, a marathon, not a sprint. You have all the time in the world to get it right. Yeah, I love that. I that, I find that so motivating and reassuring. You know, you can always try new things. You can always experiment. There's always room for change. It's not like, oh no, you ruined it. Oh, shouldn't have tried that. <laughs> it's not like in the Matrix, like you take the the blue pill or the red pill, and then you're up. Oh, it'll never work again. Committed <laughs> for life. <laughs> yeah, really. Every one of us has to figure it out on our own. We are all our own study of one. What it takes for you to lean out and what it takes for me to lean out might be two totally different things. Yep, yep. So now we have a couple of questions that are also similar. So I'm going to read this one from Shelly. The subject is acetyl-L-carnitine. Does it break a fast? Hi, I'm new to IF and I'm doing the 20 slash four method. I was wondering if acetyl L-carnitine breaks a fast. I tried researching on my own. I've just read too many conflicting opinions. Please help. Thanks. And I love your podcast. YOLO. I love that. So the second one is from Vicky and the subject is two questions from an Aussie fan. She says, hi, ladies. Hello from down under. Firstly, thank you for your podcasts. I've binged on them and now eagerly await each new release and always seem to pick up a new tip each time. Keep them coming. My first question is about acetyl L-carnitine, which I take every morning, two to three grams, as I understand it's good for heart and brain function, as well as numerous other things. Is this breaking the fast and our autophagy? On the bottle, it says it is zero calories, proteins, fats, and carbs. I used to take fat burners and branched chain amino acids. However, after listening to your podcast, have cut them out completely and now do a clean fast with a cold pressed black coffee in the morning and a black tea around lunchtime. So let's answer the first part of this one and also Shelly's. So questions about carnitine. So what is carnitine? It's actually an amino acid and it's found in cells all throughout our body. There are different forms of it. So there's like L-carnitine, acetyl-L-carnitine, propionyl L-carnitine, and those do affect how they are absorbed. So that is something to keep in mind, but it has a lot of health benefits in the body because basically what it does is it helps our bodies burn fat. So it can be good for like insulin sensitivity, for burning fat, for energy production, lots of other things in general, a lot of health benefits that people have seen from it. And I'll put a link in the show notes to a really good article I found that kind of summed up all of this. It's on the Self-Hacked website. I love that website. Do you ever get on that website, Jen? No. I find they do really, really good thorough research with a lot of references and studies and such. As far as like where it's found in food, it's found in things like meat, fish, poultry, and milk. So animal products are pretty high in it. As far as taking it in the fast, a lot of people do take it in the fast in general because it does encourage fat burning. That said, it is an amino acid. So there is the potential that it will short circuit autophagy. So I would not recommend taking it in the fast. You might find that taking it in the fast encourages fat burning, but you might be, you know, losing the longevity aspects or the, you know, the cellular breakdown aspects of autophagy. So I would recommend not taking it in your fast, or if you are experimenting down the road, 
maybe if you're in a situation where you're doing like a, a light workout right before your eating window, maybe it's a situation where, you know, you take the, the carnitine, then you do your workout, then you eat. So you're like extending it closer to your eating window. It is debated though. Jen, what are your thoughts? Well, I actually even saw a study. I mean, I agree with you. I would not recommend it. But I saw a study that said that um, the bioavailability of L-carnitine from oral supplements is only 14 to 18% of the total dose. Oh, yeah. I did read something as well that said it was better absorbed with food. Yeah. So to me, buy it and then throw it directly into the toilet. I mean, (laughs) you know, it just, if you're not getting it, then number one, it might not be something you want during the fast. And number two, only 14 to 18% is even going to be available to your body. So I would just eat food that has high levels. You know, red meat is going to have the highest level of L-carnitine. You also have it, like Melanie said, it's in chicken, milk, dairy products. You'll have some in fish, even beans and avocado. I would get it from my food and my eating window before I would supplement, especially since we're not sure that it's very bioavailable from the supplements anyway. Yep. Do you want to go on to our second question? Yes. Vicki says, I am doing fasting, mostly 18 to 20 hour fast with a four to six hour feeding window for a few months now and I'm feeling great. I am fasting more for all the health benefits than weight loss as I am happy with my weight and size, although I wouldn't be upset if I lost a couple more centimeters from my waist. Ha ha. That was her ha ha. I just read it. (laughs) Then she says, I have discovered a high fat, low carb, moderate protein diet immensely helps me with hunger cravings during the day. However, I do miss pasta and mangoes. It's mango season here. I am guessing the high fats are what's keeping me satiated as before I switched to this type of eating, I was hungry and shaky by 1 or 2 p.m. However, now I feel I can go to 4 p.m. or maybe even do a 24-hour fast. Currently, I am eating approximately 1,300 calories, 75% fat, 5% carbs, 20% protein. I am 5'2 and 56 kilograms. If I was to increase carbs and keep fats high, would this still work? I guess I am wondering if it is the high fats to keep the hunger at bay or the low carbs or a combo of both. Hope this makes sense. Can't wait to hear your thoughts. All right, Vicki. Yes, your question totally makes sense. And this is another instance where there's not like one answer for everybody. Because I feel like some people find certain macros completely kill their appetite and other people find other macros do. So, you know, some people find that like higher fat is what does it for them, keeps them satiated. Others find that they thrive on like a lower fat, but a higher carb approach. Some people need both. Some people, when they have both, it doesn't work well for their insulin sensitivity. So then they're hungrier. So basically you got to try different things and find what works for you. So you don't need us to tell you that one is going to work, I guess, is my takeaway. You're, you're just going to have to try it what works for you is what works for you. Last week, I was talking about that study, for example. It was looking at fueling with a high protein versus a high carb versus a high fat meal and how that affected satiety levels during the fast. And like I said, it interestingly found that those on the high protein approach had the most hunger during the fast, which I thought was really interesting. And then the people with the high carb and and people with the high fat did not. But then it's like you have to look at all the variables. And we were talking about how complicated studies are because it's like you can't change one thing without changing the other. And if it's high carb, then is it high carb, low fat? Is it high carb, medium fat? I mean, there's just so many factors. For example, like with keto, some people find that that completely kills their appetite. Other people feel like they're ravenous all the time and they need carbs. Basically, the takeaway is 
feel free to experiment with everything. And when you find the thing that does keep you satiated, you know, go with that. And I actually think a huge part of it isn't necessarily even the macros as the nutrients that you're getting. We've talked about this before, but a lot of studies have shown that more nutrient-dense diets can really promote satiety and decrease hunger levels. We see that across the board. And there's actually a fascinating podcast interview that I listened to on Ben Greenfield's podcast with an author who wrote a book called Nourishment. And it was about animals and humans and how we will eat, eat, eat until we get the nutrients we need and how being in tune with our bodies and eating whole foods that our bodies need can really support our hunger levels and our health. And I cannot encourage listeners enough to check that out. So if you follow us in the Himalaya app and follow the playlist Intermittent Fasting Podcast Stuff We Like, there's a link there to that. So Jen, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think that what you said is true. It would be so nice if we could just say, here is the macro composition that is best for everybody, (laughs) right? That would be amazing, but it's not like that because we're all so different. So Melanie hit it. She's exactly right. Vicki asked if I was to increase carbs and keep fats high, would this still work? I don't know. Try it and see. That's it. And I know we, we always keep saying the same thing because that's really what we believe. There is no magical macro ratio that's going to be the best for you, period. For me, I need high fat and high carb. And a lot of people would run screaming from that. It would freak them out. You know, it works really well for my body. I'm lean. I'm healthy. I feel good. All right. So now we have yet again two questions related to a similar subject. The first one comes from Dana. The subject is how to deal with wanting to eat when not hungry. Dana says, Thank you, ladies, for the informative and fun-to-listen-to podcast. I love it. I discovered IF about a week ago, and it's going well. However, although I'm not hungry most of the time, I find it very difficult to deal with wanting to eat. It's a psychological issue, not a physical one. Any advice? And then Jen, her subject is eating when bored, and Jen says, I started IF several months ago and have found this to be an easy lifestyle. Very adaptable and easy to stick with a four- to five-hour window. I recently found this podcast and now listen to it while working out. My struggle is eating just because I am bored or eating because I feel like I need to consume more calories before I close the kitchen. Any suggestion on how to control that better? It's mostly that dang sweet tooth. Thanks. Yeah, this is something that's very, very common. You know, Dana just started intermittent fasting about a week ago. Jen has been doing it for several months, but It's true. We have gotten to the point where we see eating as recreation. It's enjoyable. It's pleasurable. And I'm not going to say that eating shouldn't be pleasurable. I'm not one of those people who thinks that you should just, you know, eat to live because I do think that eating is pleasurable because we're meant to enjoy eating. But we need to get away from the thought that we need to eat all the time and, and feel that eating pleasure all the time. So think of other things that that feel good to you or that make you happy, that make you content and learn to replace those instead of the eating. For example, a mug of hot water. You know, when you're like, oh, I want to eat. Instead, have a mug of hot water. You're putting something into your mouth, but it's it's hot water. And so that might make you feel good. You know, keep yourself busy. This used to be one of my biggest problems. You know, I would see other people eating like a cinnamon roll, for example, and I'd be like, I would like to taste that cinnamon roll right now. And I would like to put that cinnamon roll into my mouth and I would really enjoy eating that cinnamon roll. 
And then I was like, you know, wait a minute, Jen, you've had a cinnamon roll before. You know what it tastes like. You can imagine what it would taste like. Is having that cinnamon roll really going to make your life better? No, it would be pleasurable for the moment. And so I like to think about my future self and I don't go very far into the future. I go like an hour into the future. I was going to say one of the things is imagining your future self and that the studies actually. Well, I don't go very far. I go one hour. <laughs> that, that's as far as I want to visualize. In one hour, I ask my one hour future self, are you going to be glad that you ate this? And if the answer is no, then I, I don't eat it. And always an hour later, I'm so glad I didn't. Now, yesterday, when I had that ice cream sundae banana split with the Haagen-Dazs vanilla ice cream and the strawberries and the pineapple and the whatever, I asked myself in one hour, are you going to be sorry that you ate this? And the answer was no, I'm not going to be sorry because I'm here at this Haagen-Dazs place and I won't be here in an hour. And I can't have this later because I don't even know where there's another Haagen-Dazs. So I'm going to eat this now and I'm going to enjoy it. And I'm not going to be sorry in one hour. And I wasn't. So that's just one of those things you learn over time, what works for you as far as like what conversations to have in your own head. You also learn to stop beating yourself up. Now, let's say that I had regretted it in an hour and I'm like, man, I shouldn't have had that. And I feel awful. I actually didn't feel awful. So that was a good thing. Ice cream works really well for my body. I think because it's high fat, high fat and high carbs, <laughs> I don't have the crash from it that I would if say I had like, you know, a cookie or something. But I felt great and I didn't regret it at all. So yes, it is a psychological issue, as Dana said, and the same with Jen. You know, it's just that we're bored or we're eating because we feel like we enjoy it. And you just have to come to terms with that over time. And you will. It does get better. What do you have to say, Melanie? I like the idea of using, because it is really habitual. So every time you have that thought, like, I want to eat something, using that as a cue for something else something else that makes you happy that will fulfill that. And the more and more you do that, the more and more you're likely to start that new routine. So like maybe instead of using it as a cue to eat something, maybe not even replacing it with like drinking water because that still might be gauging in the food or drink type aspect. You could use it as a cue to something else. Like every time I'm hungry or wanting that snack, instead I will go start some other random habit, like write down something I'm grateful for, like in a gratitude journal or you know, put a penny in a jar and fill up a jar of pennies. Like there are a lot of different things you can do. And I really recommend checking out the book Atomic Habits that I've talked about on the podcast before because it's really amazing for changing your environment and your cues and making new habits really effortless. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Also really making your environment work for you. So I know it's harder to control like in a workplace or something like that, but if you don't keep snacks in the house, they won't be there to have. So like if you find that you easily snack on things like nuts or like prepackaged foods or things like that, just don't buy them. Make it so that you have to actually prepare the food that you have. If it is there in your environment, your brain will want it. And I, I've noticed this as well. I don't know if he talked about it in Atomic Habits or if it was in another book, but if your brain knows that a certain thing is a possibility and it's something that it wants, it will constantly think about it. Whereas if it's not a possibility, it's just not on your radar. You might think, oh, I can have these foods in my house for special times. But if your brain knows they're there, you're going to want them. You know, make it easier on yourself and, you know, make it harder to have access to these things that might be, quote, trigger foods to snacking type behaviors or eating out of habit. That really is the hardest part for so many people. We just have food around us all the time and food is pleasurable. You can actually mourn for a while the whole like, 
you know, feeling of I'm not getting to eat that right now. You know, I, I understand that. It's emotional. It really is. All right. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. So a few things for listeners before we go. If you go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 108, that's where we'll put show notes. We'll put all the studies that we talked about, links to things that we liked. If you want to submit your own questions for the podcast, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com. You can also go to our website, like I said, and directly submit questions there. We are a Himalaya partnered show, like I said, so definitely follow us in the Himalaya app to get early access to our podcast 24 hours in advance. Yeah, you can follow us on Instagram. We are ifpodcast. You can also follow us on Twitter. We are the ifpod. Anything else, Jen, from you before we go? No, I think that's it. Great episode. I know. Well, I will talk to you next week. And it really will be next week, this time. Oh, yeah, it really will be. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And also, if we haven't already recorded it, if listeners have questions for Dr. Ken Brown, he came on episode number 79. He is the founder of Autron Teal. He knows everything about like gut health, the gut microbiome, fasting, all the things. If you have any questions for him, we're going to bring him back on for another guest interview. So definitely send questions for him our way. Awesome. All right. And I really will talk to you next week. (laughs) Bye. Okay. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, the opinions we discussed on this show do not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. Check out ifpodcast.com for more information on us. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.